Welcome to On The Record, a podcast featuring candid conversations with entrepreneurs, business leaders, academics, and cultural influencers. Today's episode was recorded from an online event hosted by WiseLine's General Counsel, Lynn Cherry, interviewing diversity and inclusion leaders at Twilio, Google, and the Human Rights Campaign. The panelists discuss concrete steps any organization can make to be more inclusive. Remember, visit WiseLine.com for all of your digital transformation needs. Let me introduce you the panelists that are joining us today. So please join me in welcome Hannah Kopenkin. I hope I am pronouncing your last name well, Hannah. Um, empathy and collaboration are the fundamental elements that drive Hannah's work to construct a more engaged, transparent, and equitable workplace as global employee experience and diversity and inclusion manager at Twilio. She is passionate about promoting positive social change, aiming for organizations to be purposeful, moral, and socially responsible. So thank you, Hannah, for joining us today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Let's now welcome Milagros. Milagros is the Associate Director of the Global Workplace Equality Program at the Human Rights Campaign Foundation. In her role, she oversees the programs designed to promote LGBTQ plus inclusive workplaces in Mexico and Chile, as well as ongoing expansion efforts across the world. Milagros has played a leadership role in supporting the HRC global and workplace programs and enhance international business relations. We are thrilled to have you, Milagros. Thank you, Brindley. Happy to be here. And now it's time to introduce you, Tomás. As diversity and inclusion leader at Google, Tomás helps to build a more equitable industry by empowering underrepresented communities and historically marginalized groups and assisting executives and teams in creating an inclusive workplace. He leverages systemic thinking to promote organizational changes in processes and behaviors. He globally manages inclusion strategies for the Latino, indigenous, and interreligious communities and defines the diversity and inclusion strategy for the Latin American offices. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tomas. Thank you for, for having me. And last but not least, Lynn Cherry is moderating this conversation. And Lynn is the general counsel and diversity and inclusion officer at Wiseline. She oversees all legal matters for the company and has worked as an international corporate lawyer for over 20 years across technology, media, and sports. Prior to Wiseline, Lynn served as general counsel at HBO Latin America, VLA Incorporated, a subsidiary of America Mobile, and MySpace. So thank you, Lynn, for hosting this conversation, and let's get started. I let Lynn take the lead from here. Thank you so much, Brenda Lee, and welcome our panelists. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you to the audience for being here as well. Um, just a quick, one more quick housekeeping matter is that we've reserved a little bit of time at the end of our discussion for audience Q&A. 
So please ask questions, we would love that, and use the Zoom Q&A functionality at the bottom of your screen. And we'll get to all the questions we can at the end. So our discussion today around diversity and inclusion is really all about the future of talent, our most important asset. My company, WiseLine, is a technology services company. And as such, we're completely reliant on our talent to creatively and successfully address the challenges and solve those challenges of our clients um, in the area of digital transformation. Therefore, it's imperative that we are as inclusive as possible in, in our efforts to attract and foster all talent, regardless of protected class or other characteristics. But it's not enough to be aware of this. Leaders across all our organizations need to take meaningful action. And that's why we're here today. My goal will be to have a casual, candid, candid conversation with our esteemed panelists. Uh, and with a focus on really practical advice, for how to take action in creating a more diverse and inclusive workplace. So let's get started. My first question, which is about action, impact, and prioritization of, of those actions, um, is for all of the panel. The question is, what are the top three initiatives you would recommend investing in? And as a second part of that question, what's a smaller initiative that we, can all, that we can all take advantage of that results in a significant impact? And maybe since we have people from a lot of different organizations on the panel, we can take into consideration the maturity level of the organization. And let's start with the most mature organization, which is Google. So Tomas, can you, can you talk to us a little bit about this area of impact and prioritization of initiatives? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much uh, for the question. And it's a tricky one because um, we don't have a roadmap in diversity and inclusion. This is something that companies, but society overall, they're trying to fix something that we haven't fixed yet. So there's no silver bullet. I was thinking, We've been trying, as you were saying, more mature in the sense that we've been trying and failing many times and sometimes doing it right for some time now. Um, but also, I think failures in this space are important because it means also you are trying. And if you're really trying, you will step on it. It is not if, but it is when. That's why it is so important to start this work with a level of humility and vulnerability, understanding that we don't know what the clear roadmap is. I was thinking about three top initiatives. There are many, many different ones, and it depends what goals we are trying to achieve. But I would share three that we've developed a lot over the past probably 15 years or 12 years at Google, which is ERGs mentorship and sponsorship opportunities for employees from historically marginalized groups and awareness trainings uh, to have inclusive conversations. The first one on ERGs. I work a lot on the inclusion 
side of the house. And I'm a bottom-up bottom up guy too, in the sense that uh, belonging, we're striving for inclusion. When we are talking about inclusion, we define it mainly on two pillars. Belongingness, feeling that you belong, but also uniqueness, being heard because you have a unique background, not in spite of that. And I think ERGs bring this belongingness because you have a space, a safe haven, where you don't have this singleton effect or, or of being uh, heavily underrepresented, but you can build community um, with others. And also it gives you a platform to be heard, providing channels for feedbacks to the diversity and uh, to bubble up community sentiment, to the diversity and inclusion team, but also to Google, to leadership overall. The mentorship and sponsorship opportunities, um, I think it's extremely important to help you navigate the spoken and unspoken rules of an organization, because there are many things that are not said, but, but if you're not part of the culture of the people who built that organization, then it's, it might be harder to self-navigate those challenges. And the last one is awareness, trainings, and inclusive conversations. I think it is extremely important to understand that any practice, DNI practice, allyship practice, it starts by education, unconscious bias, bias busting, because many times if we jump onto action too sudden or too quick, we can make things worse sometimes. So we need to be really understand what are the challenges, be proximate to the communities and understand what we are trying to solve because we all have biases. Me as a white passing Argentinian man, uh, I, I have a specific lens and I have many blind spots. So uh, bridging across, across differences, we need to do that through constructive dialogues and inclusion is not exclusive of, of some groups. On the contrary, we need to strive for the inclusion of everybody. Thank you so much. That was great. Um, maybe we'll skip the part about the small initiative. We can come back to that. Um, and let's hear from Hannah. I would love to hear your perspective on the top three initiatives that you would recommend investing in. Yeah, definitely. And it's a good sign that um, you're going to hear overlap because I think that just drives home the point that these are things that are really important when it comes to this work. Um, I would second everything that Tomas said around um, we are, as an industry, still very much figuring this out, making missteps, learning from each other. Um, and so in doing that, I think what's important is just, you know, to the point around smaller is just starting. So to the point that uh, Tomas said around ERGs or education, I think the smaller piece is just starting to do those things. It's just the entryway into those is a great way to then build more robust, let's say, education tracks or ERG programs. So um, the two that I kind of focused on, so one, ERGs, of course, um, I have the great privilege at Twilio, as well as in my previous roles at other organizations to program manage our ERGs. Um, and uh, these are the most incredible people that I work with. They are culture drivers who are really living the values of the organization. And so I think when you are envisioning what that can look like for your organization, there's a few things that are really important to do. And one is 
hire someone to program manage, to support them. To Tomas's point, it's kind of bottom up. We're here to not manage them, but to really empower them and support them in the work that they're doing to create these, to create that sense of belonging and drive it for the organization. Provide budget to them, really show commitment in dollars to these people. They are not just social organizations. Um, they're very much an important part of a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy. Um, create executive sponsorship that aligns to them so your executives are working hand in hand with these ERG members to make sure that that dialogue is happening um, throughout the, the business. And then the last one, which I think sometimes in our industry we forget to do, is recognizing and rewarding and acknowledging successes because there are so many missteps and because this work is so hard and systematic, um, the barriers we're trying to break down, making sure that we talk about the wins we're having. So ERGs, Absolutely. And then the second piece, which is a little bit of a cheat because it's pretty meaty, is looking at how you create education and accountability in your people processes and how you remove bias from those processes. Um, so I, I wrote down some notes around when you think about hiring, looking at your job descriptions, thinking about how the language that you put in your job descriptions might be gendered or using non-inclusive language that deters certain candidates, thinking about your interview panels and how the employees on your interview panel, ensuring that they represent the wide array of folks that um, are at your company. And then thinking about other people processes like performance reviews and making sure that you audit those and look at them and see our managers giving actionable feedback to people, um, looking demographically at your pay and promotions. Um, so I think for that one, I'm seeing that as like looking at bias in your um, all of your people processes through the life cycle. Um, so since that one's big, I'm counting those those two as my two. Great, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Milagros, we'd love to hear from you on this. Well, thank you so much, uh, Lean and Brenda Lee, for the invitation first, um, and I definitely echo both uh, Hannah and Tomas and what they were saying. Um, I think that, um, you know, uh, today is a very special day, not just because we're having this wonderful panel, but also because we are um, celebrating the life and legacy of, of one of our um, most remarkable national heroes, I'll say, um, Congressman John Lewis. And he once said that ordinary people uh, with extraordinary vision can actually redeem the social the soul of America. So I know that he said this in the context of um, engaging people to vote and, and community participation, but I think that we can translate that into the role of corporations as means to social change, right? Um, I know that you know that companies, corporations, businesses are uniquely positioned to bring social change. One policy at a time, one employee at a time, one organization at a time. So as part of my role uh, as the Associate Director of the Global Workplace Equality Program at, at HRC, I oversee two programs uh, that create LGBTQ workplace inclusion um, in businesses and corporations in Chile and in Mexico. And as an ally myself, it's interesting to be very embedded in this work and see what works and what doesn't. And uh, talking about the three main, component, main components to make this work happen, I could talk about our pillars, but I'm going to leave that for the end. Um, just as a general sense of what being inclusive and, and diverse means, I, I believe that a companies should start by self-evaluating themselves. 
So where do they stand in terms of diversity and inclusion to even start the conversation, right? So it, it comes and you have to be humble to recognize where you are and identify your shortcomings, your flaws. Um, and basically invest not just money, but dedication and time to make these efforts happen. The second piece is what uh, Tomas and, and Hannah were saying, we're referring to uh, ERGs and employment engagement. Um, if you don't get the feedback of employees, uh, any efforts uh, to do this, to make this real, uh, are not going to succeed. You have to create an open channel of communication to understand, to create a space for them to interact with one another, to exchange ideas, but also to come back to you with ways and they, they can contribute to actually make the workplace better, right? And the last piece is about measurement. Uh, of course, uh, I work for the Human Rights Campaign, and so we are known for our corporate equality index that I want to talk about a little bit later on, but um, there are, that is not the only index uh, in the market. There are many others that companies can use and not just participating in surveys, but also trainings and, and workshops and just creating the need to understand and evaluate where you stand in terms of diversity and inclusion. That's great. We had a second part of this question and maybe we can go around and quickly address that, which is, I mean, you gave us these big chunks of actions that we can invest in, but I'd like to hear from each of you, for, especially for maybe a company that's starting out, what's a smaller, initiative that we can invest in that would make a significant impact. Tomas, let's start with you. Yeah, so just to give a, echoing what Milagros said, I, I come with a more business background and these are systems of oppression that we are all part of. You, you, you cannot say, oh no, like I earn 21 cents more than uh, be because a woman earns 21st cents, uh, 21 cents less than me. So we are all part of these systems and we all need to uh, address this work. Uh, I love that part because we all have the responsibility uh, to change this. And since we, especially for companies, and I can talk about company specifically because I work uh, in a big corporation, again, echoing what Milagro said on measurement, we need accountabilities from everybody. And we cannot know what works and what doesn't work. What is the differentiated strategy that each of uh, the demographic groups needs if you don't have metrics? So I think starting by the metrics on the goals that you want to change, if it is diversity, if it is inclusion, equity, product inclusion and inclusive product, it depends what, what are your goals, but starting by that metrics, because metrics are then compelling and also are a map for us to, um, to know if, if we are doing it right, if we are missing it, et cetera. Love that, thank you. Hannah? Yeah, um, I think that's great. Another thing I would offer up, which I somewhat alluded to was, I think with some of this, it's starting, just starting the baseline, like the smaller I would consider is just starting. So for dialogue and education, I think there's a lot of amazing things that big corporations like Google and like Twilio are doing around having uh, learning tracks and consistent dialogue. I think one thing that's great that we do at Twilio that is an easy, free 
quick thing to do is start a dialogue with your senior leadership. Our CEO, in addition to the other education opportunities we have, our CEO, Jeff, has a round, an inclusion roundtable where he just sits and listens to employees, right? It doesn't cost any money. Yes, you have to get on an executive's um, a, you know, calendar, but past that, it's just starting the dialogue, making sure that the people, that the ultimate decision makers in your organization are hearing what's going on around belonging and inclusion in your organization. So I think that's one small thing to start to have that because also you can't just throw this work into a company without having the dialogue around you know, to Tomas's point, systems of oppression and the 101 of this work. So I think that's a good entryway would be my recommendation. No, that's great. I totally agree. Thank you. Milagros? Well, three practical ways uh, as I'm thinking about the work that we do with companies and trainings. Um, you know, one of the things that are, that are super simple but very effective are in terms of LGBTQ workplace inclusion, um, adding pronouns to your email signature or to your Zoom platforms. Um, you know, I know that we're not necessarily just talking about LGBTQ issues today, but um, that's a great way to help others be addressed and identified as they wish to. Um, but let's just be careful with that because I say to make it a suggestion and not an obligation because some folks may be in the middle of of communal processes and, and some of them may not be out or want to be out in the workspace. We do have to be careful and respectful of that. Um, so making it a suggestion leaves the door open for those uh, who like to um, add the, um, the pronouns on the you know, emails and, and so forth. Um, the second piece is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of organizations are trying to hit certain percentages of, of um, underrepresented communities. Um, but, any number of any goal starts with one hire at a time, right? And so if you, if you are, um, if your goal is to, that, to hire more diverse people from diverse backgrounds, languages, ethnicities, and so forth, um, I think that's great, but you also have to ensure that that particular person thrives at the workplace. And for that, you need to provide resources, right? And, um, and tools to do that, right? So it's not just having a, a picture perfect, diverse, mm -hmm. uh, advertising of your company, but it's also helping the people that are inside to thrive and stay at your company. And then the third piece I'll say that is just to speak, to speak up and to listen. And I know this sounds really simple, but sometimes we don't do that. And when we don't, then we, we see the consequences. And so once again, you know, echoing what uh, uh, Hannah and Tomas were saying, like, I think that creating those channels of open communication, uh, we can create better products, better workplaces for all. Great. Thank you so much. So moving on to the next question, um, I'm, I'm going to ask this question to Hannah. And I, when we spoke first, you had a wonderful line, which was, DNI is everyone's work. And I love that. And it really describes how, you know, you need to leverage others in these efforts. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit more about how you do that at Twilio? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know that I can take credit for that. I think it's probably a pretty common thing we say in the industry, but um, it is important. And I think especially as more companies in the wake of um, what's happened in recent months are starting to wake up to this needing to be um, a priority or more of a priority than it maybe has been in the past, it's important to remember that um, you're 
it's unlikely that you will have success, successful DNI initiatives if you hire someone and you just put it on their plate and step away. And so I think that's kind of my intention in saying that is it truly has to be something that you embed into your culture as you build it or into your company as you build it. Or if you have a larger company and you're starting to prioritize this, prioritize bringing the education and the accountability to everyone, the, your most, from your most senior leadership um, to all of your you know, middle managers and, and business unit leaders on down to people just joining. So um, with that, I think a few things I had written down were um, like any good way of trying to be persuasive or influence people, um, the way to start is to show them what's in it for them. I, um, in doing this work, I like to think that it's obvious why this work is so important, but it isn't for a lot of people. And many people have spent their whole careers not even having this be a part of organizations until till recently. Um, and so I think the place to start there is there's a, gr a ton of great resources, free resources, um, and studies um, in Harvard Business Review or some of the big consulting firms like McKinsey um, and Deloitte have done research that shows the business case for this work. And so show that to people, talk about that with people that you're trying to invite into the conversation. Um, and then I wrote too that um, once they're in or once you have a cross-functional partner that you're working with, there's a few things you can do. The first is, and I think this is a little cliche, but meet them where they're at because um, I sometimes get ahead of myself because I'm so steeped in this work and talking about it all the time. I forget that a lot of people are at a different point in their, their journey. And so um, being mindful of that and being really clear about how you want to engage them in this work, what your expectations are, setting goals together that feel realistic and aligned to what their goals or priorities are at the organization once you've kind of given them the business case, um, having regular check-ins with them and helping and supporting and acknowledging, being vulnerable yourself and acknowledging that we are all learning in this together, um, I think allows people to feel less um, uncomfortable about this work. Um, and then as I mentioned earlier, highlighting success, which again, I think we forget. Talk about when there's wins, big or small, um, even if right to the point of like, even if you have a really high goal you're trying to reach, start with just the little win that you have. Um, I think that will really help um, show them and get them bought into the work. So those were a couple of ways I thought um, was valuable for engaging other people that you want to do this work with you in the organization. Yeah, I think that's super helpful. Thank you, that makes sense. That's very practical advice. Um, my next question, because it's come up already um, in our discussion, which is the subject of bias. And this question is for Tomas. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you approach minimizing bias. I mean, bias is such a difficult problem and it's just hardwired, so we don't eliminate it. But I'd love to hear more from you, some practical advice um, on, on how best to minimize. Yeah, sure. So as, as you were saying, bias is so complicated because some of it is conscious but a lot of it is unconscious, right? More than 99% of the, of the bits that we process in one second are unconscious. So recognizing that first and understanding that those um, preconceived ideas that we have of the world actually affect the way that we navigate and we understand the world. So um, I, th I think it is extremely important 
on minimizing bias to understand what you're referring to first. Because yes, we all start by unconscious bias, but then what really helped Google uh, to advance this work is focusing on specific system of, of oppression. For example, understanding racial equity work, understanding racial bias and racial awareness. First, meet people where they are in their journey. And me, for example, I, I never thought about my race. And that also tells something because I had the privilege to remain oblivious of my race because I was part of, part of the norm. So being able to discuss about that in first person and not understanding this, as Robin DiAngelo says in uh, White Fragility, not understanding this as a binary, you're a bad person or you're a good person. If you are a racist, then you are a bad person. Uh, but understanding that these are not also events. Oh, this person did this racist thing, but actually there are systems that are embedded everywhere. And thinking about systems, I think uh, Race Forward has talked about uh, the four levels of on how these systems of oppression plays out in four levels. Race Forward, uh, raceforward.org has put this framework that, that we really follow at Google to understand what we want to do to address biases. So we have the individual biases and then the systems. On the individual biases, we have the first level, which is the internalized, starting by you. For example, in uh, young girls in tech, internalize me as a man, internalize that I have that bias, that maybe if I imagine a software engineer, maybe it's a man, a white man, uh, but not every young girl. Uh, and at the company, that's why, so what you can do at the company on the internalized level is have awareness trainings and understand that this is, we are all part of these systems. The second one is interpersonal bias, which is the ways that this internalized bias plays out between each other. Uh, so for example, young girls get funneled into different courses or less rigorous or less tech-oriented courses. In your company, you, you can address that by having clear compliance structures with clear norms, processes to escalate any misbehaviors that can happen. But we often tend to focus only on the individual as these biases and these kind of systems of oppressions are, are only events. But we need to think about the systems, about the forest, not only the trees. And uh, there we have two other levels, which is the institutional level and the structural level. On the institutional level, on the example I was giving, for example, is the disparate outcomes within a school district or graduating fewer women uh, that go into university for STEAM courses. And in our own companies, we, we can address that, but by do I have practices, do I have systems or policies that are not inclu inclusive and are replicating these hierarchical systems. And the last one, but I think it is the most important one, it is the relationship with, between all, which is a structural one. On the example, the relationship between schools and, and college university access. Understand how these systems are actually pervasive and we need to keep an eye on inclusivity on everything we do 
product development, marketing. Uh, so yes, and I could keep on talking, talking about this, so please interrupt me, <laughs> Thomas. Well, that's great to hear a little bit. It's, um, it's a big issue, and we could have many, many panel discussions just on that, that one topic. So thank you for giving us that perspective. Really appreciate it. My next question maybe is more, you know, back to more like actions that we can take more tactical and it's for Milagros. And, you know, given that you're involved in HRC, which is one of the organizations that provides certifications and ratings, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the role that these certifications and ratings play in diversity and inclusion efforts. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, um, we have been promoting and, and successfully implementing um, the use of our corporate equality index for those who may not be familiar with um, the CEI is, it has become uh, the nation's premier benchmarking um, tool to assess LGBTQ inclusion among corporations and, and large employers in the US. So much so that we translated that success into Mexico and and Chile by creating Equidad CL and Equidad MX. And I wanted to, I wanted to take a moment to recognize Wiseline because you were one of the 120 uh, companies that earned our designation of best places to work for LGBTQ equality in Mexico just last year. I actually went to, um, to conduct a workshop with one of uh, some of your staff in Guadalajara earlier this year when we could travel. And, um, and, and that was amazing. So yes, in terms of, of certifications, I believe that um, participating in a survey in some sort of index is perhaps the first step that a company can take in terms of see where they stand. Uh, we have done with the Corporate Equality Index uh, domestically has been amazing. And we started in 2002 with 300 participating companies and only 13 of them were certified, right? And this year, uh, early uh, in this year, around January and February, we went to Davos to launch the 2020 version of the CEI. Uh, we have more than 1,000 companies participating in our survey. 686 of them were certified. Uh, 11 of them score 100 in all or three surveys, which is amazing for the first time. Uh, and then 214 of them are part of Fortune 500. I mean, I know that Thomas may be familiar with this because Google does participate on, on our survey. And, and so it is the way to assess uh, practices and policies, and in this case, as it relates to LGBTQ workplace inclusion. But just remember that it's the first step, that the accountability piece is also a very powerful one, and we don't assess culture. We only assess what is written in, in terms of policy, uh, what kind of practices, where you have an ERG, uh, the, the explicit language that Hannah was talking about in terms of sexual orientation, gender identity, and so forth. Uh, and so we have been able to create this healthy competition among the major and, and most uh, prestigious employers of, of the country. So. It is the first step, and we're very proud that that is the case. But we cannot um, we cannot say that it's just a majestic that will create a, an inclusive and, and super diverse workplace because that is not the case. It is certainly the first step, but there are many others to follow to achieve full inclusion of everyone. Thank might, you. I, might I add something there? Sure. Um, I I would just second that. I think uh, I started in my role at Twilio in December and. Um, I will say from an employment or employer branding perspective, 
thinking about lists like that or the HRC's index or other things are so imperative, especially I think with the generation of folks coming out of schools and looking for work now, it's, it's one thing to be known for your product. It's another thing to be known for your values and your commitment to driving social change in the world. And I think you're going to see, I know I can speak from my experience and when I talk to people and I'm mentoring people, a more of an interest in seeing those things, those accountability certifications at organizations. So I think that's also um, something to keep in mind for that piece. That's interesting. Well, I would love to hear from you, Hannah, um, just how, how, maybe how the certification ratings piece plays into how you measure how well you're doing, because that was the next piece. We talked a little bit about how important it is to make progress by measuring. And if you could talk a little bit about your view on that. Yeah. I, so speaking a little more broadly, since, you know, I, since I, as I mentioned, I just started in December, I'm not super steeped in my role in the work of the certification process. That isn't a big part of my job, but what I will say is, um, with DNI, there's so many different metrics. I think I saw somewhere in the Q and A this question, um, and so to Milagro's point, there's that's one piece that's really key. And I think what's important with DEI work or diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging—that's a mouthful. But with this work, is um, having a, di a diversity um, of different measurement that you bring in, right? So looking not only at like engagement and attendance or things like this, but also thinking about how you score on indexes like, like what was just discussed. Um, I also think there's other valuable ways to measure success. I know at Twilio we use, um, like many tech companies, we have an employee experience survey that we run twice a year where we ask employees a number of questions about how we're doing as an organization and we use that to inform um, where we focus our energy and our dollars on initiatives. Um, and so we have a belonging index as part of that where we get a sense of how people feel if they belong or not. And we look at that demographically and split that data to understand where we have gaps and use that to inform. So a little bit of a tangent, but I think the, the point is there's a lot of different metrics that are essential, both qualitative and quantitative to measure both diversity, which is one thing around representation, but also the meaty stuff, which is inclusion. And so I can speak to, like, to the fact that those are one piece of the puzzle that are so key. Right, right. And those are sort of the, the efforts and initiatives that are harder to measure, right? Absolutely. Those kind of surveys and indices. Um, so I'd, I'd like to talk about um, something else that's been mentioned in our conversation, which is the importance of dialogue. And this question is for all of the panel because it's such an important topic. Um, I'd love to get your advice on the best way to initiate, facilitate, and really drive healthy dialogue within your organizations. And Milagros, I guess in your opinion, like what you look at when you look at like all of your, um, all of the organizations that, that um, apply to the HRC for certifications. Maybe Tomas, can we start with you? Yes, of course. Um, thank you. Thank you for the question. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a key one because, again, what, what we are trying to solve here is to build an inclusive workplace for all. It's not at the expense of others. And many times, I don't know, uh, uh, as, a, as a man, 
I could feel, oh, they are empowering women or women of color. And the, sometimes there is this feeling of they are taking from me. And the ability of having these discussions actually allows us to understand that this is not a cake. <laughs> and we can make more cakes. Tell me what you need and we will solve. And whenever there's these, again, the biases, and I have my own lens, and maybe I don't have insight of what it is to navigate a tech company being a woman or a woman of color. So having that dialogue gives me that perspective. And that hopefully uh, disarms me. I'm not as defensive. And at some point, if I really see how systemic, how pervasive this arbitrary social hierarchies are, then hopefully it will lead me to do something about it and to, to change this. Because uh, as Hannah Milagro said, like, we all need to do this. And oftentimes there's people react, they have a lot of fragility around this and they take, for example, race and gender off the table very easily saying, oh, this is PC culture, this is politically correctness. And actually, it's the opposite. It's, no, let's, instead of not talking about something because of fear, let's talk about this. It's, let's put it on the table with, uh, with vulnerability and humility to, to hear and also to share. Thank you. That's great. Um, Milagros, can you hear a little bit about your perspective on dialogue? Absolutely. I think that, once again, I echo what Tomas was saying. I think that creating an open channel to communicate with your employees and, and learn about what their needs are and, and how you can help them improve uh, your internal policies to, to be more inclusive because, you know, diversity is about the numbers, but inclusion is more about the impact within the organization. Um, and, I, and I believe that, you know, through our experience, we have seen that the corporations, the businesses that are more successful in implementing these are the ones that make it their job to translate these, not only to the ERGs or the groups affected by these inequalities, but starting from, uh, I think Hannah said it, from this, the C-suite, the C right? The corporate leaders all the way to the shop floor. So, because if I'm an employee and if I'm underrepresented in the, in the company, uh, I wanna look up to my leaders to see what he, she, or they are doing. Uh, to include me, to make me thrive, to, to provide me the tools to succeed, right? And so when we see that 360 approach, that's really what drives change within the organization. Uh, engagement, participation, the role of, of allies is critical. Uh, me as an ally, I'm, I'm not a part of the LGBTQ community, but that, does that mean that LGBTQ issues do not matter to me? Uh, should they matter to me in my workplace? Uh, so show up, Involvement in these initiatives is key, especially as it relates to allies, because allies, just like companies, are uniquely positioned to talk and to offer a different perspective uh, in terms of issues that not necessarily affect them directly. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. I, I love the piece about, so I have a couple of ideas here. I love, I love the piece about allies. One thing I'll say there that I think both of you alluded to is, um, we talk a lot about race and gender for a number of reasons, and I think that that's important. But I think what's great to engage allies or, you know, Tomas, to use your cake example, the ones that feel like they're, they're losing out as a result of this work is to help them understand how this work is part of their 
uh, of their identity as well, right? And show them when we talk about um, diversity, what we like the wide array of what that encompasses about personal experiences and perspectives. And I think so that's one thing I'll add to that. Um, a couple of notes I wrote down around how to initiate and facilitate a healthy dialogue. So reiterating again, um, I, I firmly believe that you have to have um, your CEO, your leadership team involved for the dialogue to be healthy. So I just will stress that because I think it's so key. And then I think also having that subject matter expertise at your organization or giving the space for people to self-educate. Now, especially this year, there's such an influx of great materials that people can engage with online. And so in encouraging and incentivizing that sort of practice within your organization, especially for people who don't identify as part of these communities. Um, and so I can speak to at Twilio, we, like many companies, gave Juneteenth off and will now have that as a company holiday going forward. But instead of just giving it off, we provided a ton of resources and encouraged leaders to encourage their teams to educate themselves around a number of racial justice issues. So I think that's one piece. And then a couple of other ideas I had written down were another thing we've spoken to, but um, especially when I think about global organizations, we're a little over 3,000 people across um, three regions in 10 plus countries. Um, it's important to remember that these things mean different things in different places in different contexts. And so a great way to engage in a healthy dialogue is to set the foundation of how you identify these terms at your organization. What does diversity and inclusion mean at you know, Twilio or at your company so that everyone is on the same page and starting off on the same page. And then a couple of things personally that I think are valuable when engaging in this conversation or these tough kind of getting uncomfortable with, um, you know, getting comfortable with uncomfortable is um, ground rules. So you can search online for safe space ground rules and you'll find lots of great resources, but setting up how you want people to act when they're engaging in this. So not prescribing it, but providing guidance around things like, centering the lived experiences of, of people rather than speaking for others or confidentiality or calling in and inviting people in when they've made a misstep instead of calling them out for it. Um, so I think those are some things that you can actually physically start off a dialogue with so that it sets the stage and creates a space where people feel like they can engage with this, um, with these topics at work, which feels new or different or tough for some people. Yeah, I love everything you've said. So I think those are great, like easy things that we can all implement. Definitely. So unfortunately, that's all the time we have for my questions. Um, I want to thank the panelists really for your generous remarks and information that you shared with us. I know that with that type of information around DNI, it really will inspire and energize us all to take action. So I appreciate that. Um, before we break, I am going to take a few questions that I have from the audience. Um, here's one that I thought was interesting. She says, getting the right metrics for us is one of our top challenges. Do you have in place a self-identification process to track different identities like ethnicity, LGBTQ, etc.? Could you share how it works? Maybe to, to my, I mean, I'd love to hear from all of you. I think that's a great question, sort of nuts and bolts question on measurements. I can share one perspective on the, on the measurement piece uh, and on the self-identification. I don't, I don't work another part of my team. We are an 80 plus 
diversity and inclusion organization. So we focus on different things. So there's a lot of privacy that we need to, to take into consideration. Uh, but one thing that um, Milagros and Hannah have also uh, referred to, it is extremely important to understand what diversity means, especially when you are when you work with different countries and with different regions. And at the same time, it is, it is important not to think that one demographic, for example, the Latinx, which I'm part of, it's a monolithic entity. And whenever, if possible, whenever you can, if you can have and collect intersectional data, then you have a much more nuanced view, perspective, and understanding of how these systems plays out in your company. And if you have that understanding, then you can have differentiated strategies because there's, there is no silver bullet. Oh, let me do this for all the Latinx community. It is completely different for, I don't know, uh, white passing cisgender straight men like me on the, that comes from Argentina on a second generation, uh, I don't know, uh, trans Latino. So um, I think those nuances are extremely important because whenever we do this work stereotyping and treating demographics as monolithical entities, then we will for sure miss uh, some things and also can replicate harm. Thank you. Um, Maybe I'll move on to a different question so we can take as many as possible. Um, the next question is, I'm curious what your companies are doing to increase inclusion, specifically for people with disabilities. Sana, perhaps you can address that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think it gets at something I mentioned earlier where there's, there is in this work some areas we, we see the industry focusing on more and I think there is a great opportunity to speak more around the disability community. So um, I can speak to some of the work we're doing at Twilio. So one of our newer ERGs, Wonder, um, is was created for, uh, for folks with um, visible and invisible disabilities and allies and supporters of that. And so we um, are in the process actually of creating a panel in partnership with our C-suite, so with their executive sponsor um, and potentially one other executive to speak about this and to speak about not, um, not only educating folks around this, because I think it's a newer thing to a lot of people, but also, um, but also speaking to like, uh, to use one of the panelists term, um, the superpowers, showing people where the, where the values are, the misconceptions that can happen. So um, to that end, when you're thinking, when I'm thinking about this, like ERGs are a great way to do that. And education is a great way to do that. So even if you don't have an ERG or you don't have volunteer employees who are ready to step up to do that work, find someone external who is. There are an exceptional amount of um, disability advocates out there. Lucky for me, I have a roommate who actually is one um, and is doing incredible work over at Verizon. And, uh, you can bring someone in to talk about it and start the dialogue as we've as we've talked about in this conversation as being a thread. So that's one recommendation. I think that's great. And I'd love to hear from Tomas on this also, given that, I mean, it wasn't mentioned in your bio, but you have an incredible background um, within the Google product org. And I'd be curious to hear maybe how this comes into play in connection with you know, kind of technology we build or products and services we offer. 
I would imagine there's quite an intersection. Yeah, and actually, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about that specifically. We, we call it here at Google, we call it product inclusion, which is, uh, at Google, we always say, we want to build for everyone. So there are, I think, more than eight products with more than one billion users. So, but you cannot build for everyone if, if you don't do it with everyone. This old proverb that said nothing about us without us. And the logic is pretty straightforward. We all have biases, so bringing in the best perspectives throughout the product development process is going, is going to end up having more inclusive products. But throughout, we need to map this throughout the whole product development process, from ideation to launch to marketing. And, and this will result, so bringing these different perspectives, leveraging your Gs, having teams that are more diverse, uh, will have not only more inclusive, authentically inclusive products, but also you raise inclusion with your historic, with historically marginalized groups and underrepresented communities because you are uh, bringing their, you're valuing them because you're bringing their perspective to build more inclusive products for millions, billions of users. And at the end, this is the business case for, for tech companies. This is a business case for diverse representation. We don't want a diverse company. We need a diverse company, diverse voices at the table if we want to build more inclusive products. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you so much for that. That was great. Milagros, I have a question for you. There's a question from the audience. I think you would be in a great position to answer. And that question is, what do you think can be done to have broader diversity at the C-suite level of executives in the industry? You know, those are the people making decisions about who to hire and what initiatives to invest in. Right, and, and I think the short answer is, well, let's just, you know, hire more diversity, but it's not as simple as that. I think that, you know, I, I, was, um, I was at a conference, at a virtual conference the other day, and, and I heard someone say, an African proverb that said, when you pray, move your feet, um, which means that beyond the good intentions, you have to take action. So if your diversity, if your corporate um, leadership doesn't, is not diverse enough, then just make efforts to, to do it. I mean, first you have to incorporate the feedback of the employees, because if you're not diverse, then just do something on behalf of the people, of the employees that you have. And then just being mindful of the fact that, you know, the world is, 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 is an ever-changing uh, place where, you have to not only value the diversity piece, but you diversity has to be within the mission of every company because it's part of it. I mean, it is from the consumers, from the suppliers, from uh, from all kinds of perspectives. So, uh, first, I think once again, uh, addressing and acknowledging the fact that you're not diverse is the first step to do that, and then just make the proper efforts to retain the diverse workforce that you already have and then make it make another effort to hire diverse and and diverse work uh, a diverse workforce to to be playing those roles which are critical for the representation and perception of of, of consumers about your company that's great thank you I so love, much. i love that and i would add to to that um 
also looking at how you promote and you grow that talent within your organization, I think is also key and sometimes can be overlooked. Looking at where you might have blind spots or bias in your um, performance review process or your promotion review or your promotion process that's hindering those folks that might be in your organization that are underrepresented or marginalized from continuing to move up to the C-suite. So just another thing to be mindful of. Okay, I think I'm going to try to slip in one more question because you guys are incredible. Thank you again. So the last question is, how can a company manage both inner inclusivity and also impacting its immediate community? So sort of externally faced DNI efforts. So who wants to talk about sort of the importance of that? Because it is really important. Maybe Tomas, do you want to start? You guys quickly jump in. Yeah, sure. And it's a great question. And because external community engagement, they, they are intertwined. If you do inter external community engagement through supplier diversity, through actually going to the communities and, um, I don't know, building technological development or grant, uh, granting grants, uh, giving grants, that affects also internally if, if 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 we go i don't know i remember in 2018 we went after hurricane maria to puerto rico uh, and we developed some products for puerto rico and we pro brought project loan to bring um to to bring internet there it really impacted the inclusion of latinos within google because it meant okay google cares about us cares about my community but also Externally, if, if you are present in the communities, then also more people will be prone and will tend to say, okay, yeah, I can be a cool, I want to work there. It, 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 it's, it's a place where I can be uh, myself and I will be included and are uh, in, in contact, in deeper contact with my own community. That, that's why I think it is a great question because one um, impulses and potentializes the other inclusion and external community engagement. Hannah Milagros, do you have anything to add to that? We have one minute, and it is a great topic. Not really. I just want to thank you, Lean, and uh, Hannah and Domas for the time. And this was a, grateful, uh, a very great and genuine conversation about diversity and inclusion. And I hope that we can see each other and in a more inclusive world. <laughs> Just mention, I also want to thank the panelists because they put together their top picks of resources around DNI that would be really helpful. So we're going to circulate that list of resources to all of the audience. So thank you, panelists, for doing that. That's really wonderful. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us. Have a great day. Bye bye.